May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had finished my text study for this sermon, you know, done the original language work, read the commentaries, put a lot of thought into what things from the text I wanted to share with you this morning, and I was wrestling with what theme to give it. What one statement could I give that that would stick in your brains, and when you went home, that one theme would remind you of all the things we talked about, and and I had several of them written down, what themes I could go with, And, and as I was working on that, I had one of those late thoughts, you know what I mean, where where you see something and you're somewhere, but you don't really realize what you just saw, and then later it dawns on you. I had one of those. And that thought was, wait a second. When I was in the other office a while ago, was that the bulletin that was printing? Because I haven't given them my theme yet. I haven't written my theme yet. And so I went into the other office and started asking my question, and, and I said, is, is that the bulletin for this Sunday that's all printed here? And, and they had obviously already come to the thought that I had come to, because as soon as I asked the question, our wonderful administrative assistant said, we are sinners and we sometimes mess up. And, and, and I said, forgiven sinners in Christ. And even as I was saying that, she was telling me that, that, that she and Vicar had just been talking about how this was a good place to mess up because we're all about forgiveness. And, and so I, I picked up one of those bulletins and, and I asked, well, what does it say where the sermon theme is supposed to be? And, and you see it there. Sermon theme. <clears throat> I said, no big deal, I will go, I'll, I'll, I'll just repeat my theme over and over and over, um, and, and then they'll remember it. And, and so I went back, and I'm figuring out what should that theme be, and then it kind of dawned on me, you know, that whole scene, what just happened right there, that was kind of a perfect description of what this text is all about. That scene would be a really good sermon theme. Because this text is all about our new identity. We are sinners who mess up, but we are forgiven in Christ. Really, the whole Sunday, all the readings are about that. In in the gospel you just heard, John the Baptist was clear to say who he wasn't. He wasn't anything to do with him. He was the one who got to point ahead to Jesus. His relationship with Jesus is what made him important. In the Old Testament reading... God promised the Messiah who would change our situation. He would give the the crown of beauty instead of the the ashes. He would give joy instead of mourning. The clothes of, of, of righteousness, the garments of salvation. He would make us the bride for his bridegroom. And of course the psalm tells us that we are people who will not be put to shame because we take refuge in him. And then this text is, is a list, a description of things that we are in Christ. And you notice there also aren't parts printed in the bulletin. You got the theme and parts. Well, the parts are the three paragraphs of the text. 
each of them describes another facet of, of this, this new identity that we have in Jesus. <clears throat> so if you look at the first paragraph, God's word tells us that we are people of joy. We are people with a, a Christian attitude. And then the second paragraph, we see that we are people with a Christian source, the word. And then the third paragraph, we see that we are people with a Christian strength. It's God who does it. So think about who you are. I'm guessing that not many of you, when you meet someone new, introduce yourself with, with the first thing Patty said when I went into the office. There was a, a Chamber of Commerce Christmas meet and greet thing this week. Um, you're kind of a networking event, and I, I went to that. And, and I can only imagine what would have happened if, when Ron from the bank came up and introduced himself to me as Ron from the bank, I would have answered like Patty. Oh, I'm a sinner who messes up sometimes. I wonder how that would have gone, right? No, we, we give our name. Right? If we give our whole name, well, well, we're telling a little bit about our family, right? We give that last name, connecting us with them. We, we give our job, right? I'm, I'm the pastor at Abiding Grace. We, we might connect with something that we, we've, we know about them and someone they might know. Well, I'm, I'm Malachi's dad, I told the guy who was, was big into soccer. And I'm Jeanette's husband, I told the guy who was on the, the trails board. I got a text a little while ago from someone who told me that they were a recovering alcoholic with three decades of sobriety. Those are all cool ways to describe ourselves, right? But do any of those descriptors really get to the heart of who we are? Because all of those things can change. People can change their names. Jobs certainly come and go. Circumstances, situations change. But today God's word reminds us who we are at a deeper level. What God has made us when he made us his children. What it means that we are called children of God. And so we start with that first paragraph, that Christian attitude. Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joyful always. Sure, at the graduation, when someone that you're so proud of it, it, it has accomplished something, yeah, you're joyful there. Or the party that's celebrating one of your accomplishments, yeah, there's joy. But what about when you find out that your pay is getting cut or your job or the doctor comes in with some bad news. Joyful? Praying continually. How about that one? When it's time to eat at church, yeah, we, we pray, right? When, when there's an issue and I need some help, yeah, I'm a, a person of prayer. But what about when things are good? Or just so busy? Or what about when what you know is a temptation kind of seems like the right thing? Does, does a person of prayer describe you then? Or giving thanks in all circumstances. A, a few Thursdays ago, I'm pretty confident that just about all of you 
gave some thanks. You did some thanksgiving. When you get what you've asked for, when the news at the doctor is good, yes, we give thanks. But what, what about when that's not the case? Or when things are just normal or when suffering comes? Thanks in every situation? Joyful always, praying continually, thanks in every circumstances, in every circumstance. Do those things describe who you are? They do if you include the last three words of this paragraph. In Christ Jesus. On our own, we're joyful sometimes. We pray occasionally. We give thanks now and then. But in Jesus, it is who we are. It's who he has made us. Think about it. Because of Jesus, it is consistently true that all of our sins are forgiven and we have an eternity of bliss waiting for us no matter what the circumstance is here. Because of Jesus, it is consistently true that our relationship with our Heavenly Father is one of love and acceptance no matter what we're feeling like. In Jesus, it is consistently true that all things All things are working for our good. And every moment that we realize that is one that inspires gratitude to our gracious God. So that is who you are. You have a Christian attitude. But you only realize that, and you're only able to live in that, when you are living in the truth of God's reality instead of living in the illusion of human perception. So that's where Paul goes to in the second paragraph. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. It's really easy to get caught up in what the world considers truth. I'll be happy when I have financial security. I'll be thankful when I get what I ask for. I'll work on my relationship with God. That'll be good once my relationships here are covered. Friends, you know that there is nothing of truth in those things. You have seen and heard of plenty of people who are wealthy beyond their wildest dreams that are miserable to the point of suicide. You've seen and heard of plenty of people who were given exactly what they asked for and don't appreciate a lick of it. You've seen and heard of plenty of people where the relationships seemed stable, but they toppled, or they seemed doomed, and they succeeded. Our world has no idea what matters. So Paul tells us who we are. We are people of the truth. We are people of the word. What God says, that's what goes. So he tells us not to treat it lightly. He says, don't, don't treat it with contempt. Don't let it be, don't put it on a lower level of priority than, than where it actually is. So those of you watching at home right now, whether it's live or, or you're watching on our YouTube channel and, and, and you're listening to this and, and the thought comes up, you know what, I should really check the laundry or maybe I'll hop in the shower during the hymn. Ask yourself, is that demonstrating how important I feel what's going on right now is? Well, those of you that are here, 
if you're really just waiting for me to be done talking, if, if the gauge for you of a good sermon is one that stays under 18 minutes, if you're here today thinking, you know, that means I can probably skip next week. Realize what that means about whether we always appreciate what happens when we are interacting with God's word. God tells us, appreciate the importance of this. This this is God's message for you. Be here to cherish it and study it and, and make sure that you're getting the truth of God's word. He says, test it. Is what I'm saying agreeing with what God's word says, or am I just, am I just speaking to try, to try to give you a guilt trip and, and, and control you? Remember who you are. You are people of joy only because you are people of the truth. And the truth is clear. It's what we talked about in that office. We are sinners who mess up sometimes, and we are forgiven in Christ. And that's where the third paragraph comes in. We are people with a Christian strength. God has accomplished it all. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Being joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. That's not easy. Being people of the word, cherishing the word, appreciating and taking advantage of our time to grow in his word. That's countercultural. And who has time for it this time of year? But look at how Paul closes. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. It's God who makes this happen. He's the one who sanctifies you through and through. The word translated through and through there is actually a combination of two words. For all and complete. Whole and finished. It is only because of him that is the only way that I am who I am. It's the only way you are who you are. It's totally, absolutely only because God has completely and totally made you a person of joy, a person of the truth, a person of peace. He sanctifies you. On Wednesday in confirmation class, we studied that word sanctify, and it will be on the test this Wednesday. Sanctify to to make holy, to, to set apart. He makes us what we were not. He changes our identity from sinners who mess up and deserve eternal punishment for it to those who are completely forgiven, blameless in body, soul, and spirit, all the way. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. I don't pretend to understand all the medical intricacies of what happens in kidney dialysis, but I've spoken to a few people who have gone through it. And the way they've described it, the way I understand it, if that's right, is a beautiful picture of what we've got going on here. So so the way I understand kidney dialysis, and don't correct me if I'm wrong because I really like this picture, but the way I understand it is that the blood is 
taken out of the sick person's body. You're hooked up to this machine, and, and the blood is taken out. It's run through that machine, and there it's purified. It's cleansed. The bad stuff is taken out, and the good stuff is, is put in, and that blood then is put back into the body to give health and, and new life. Now, like I said, that's the way I understand kidney dialysis. And if that's right, what a beautiful picture that is of what we've got going on here. Our blood tainted with all of our imperfections, every speck of guilt and every smudge of doubt is washed in, in the cleansing flood of Jesus' blood that he shed for us on the cross. And all of those sins removed and then his perfection is put back into us to give us that new life and that health. I mean, think about, think about what that picture then says for the Lord's Supper. As Jesus gives to us his own blood shed for us in with and under the wine. He sanctifies you through and through. He makes you what you were not. He makes you totally new. And I know that sounds impossible. So our text closes with the promise. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He makes you his with an attitude of joy, with the certainty of his word, and with the strength that only he has. In Christ, amen. Now may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.